Yo, yo, another week, another fight podcast. As always, it's your boys, Mayron and Dave. We have a lot of ground to cover because it's it hasn't been that long since we gave y'all episode, but a lot of fights happened since we gave y'all that episode. So we're gonna get right into it. Um, I think we're actually gonna start in the east um, and talk about the one event, which was surpri- not surprising, but it was very entertaining. Um, let's just start with the Rod Tang DJ fight. You had some thoughts on it, so I'll let you go first because I had a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah, so um, for those who don't know, uh, Demetrius Johnson and Rod Tang fought in a special rules bout. So it's basically it's a four round fight. Um, rounds one and three would be would have been Muay Thai, and rounds two and four would have been MMA rules. Um, yeah, I it was weird. So it was basically only going to be, in my opinion, it was only going to be a two-round fight. And indeed um, it was a two-round fight. Yeah. There it was. And <laughs> I think that I, I, coming into the fight, I was saying, I always said that if DJ can make it out of the first round, he wins the fight. Mm-hmm. And it happened. The first, fight, the first round was fun. Um, you could definitely tell that DJ wasn't really super familiar with like the rules of Muay Thai. And he said that in the post fight so he was basically just trying to do his best to hit and not get hit yeah um and it was it was interesting uh it's hard it was really just hard to it's hard to explain if you didn't dude see it. that fight that first round was so fun if you don't know much about mma or or muay thai and you just want to see fun like you just want to see two people like just banging on each other that first round was so much fun you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, yeah, DJ was getting, quote-unquote, on class. Like, Rod Tank definitely won the round, right? If you're not that one judge's fights that way. But, like, if you look at that round as a fight, Rod Tank won that fight. And it was so much fun to see him just, like, that man just went forward. And DJ's like, shit, 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 shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? The entire time, you can see DJ's red going like, okay, how do I survive? And it's really just a credit to DJ because I think almost – any other like MMA artist gets knocked the fuck out with what Rod Tank was throwing, yo. And he was, and DJ was hitting him with some shit. Yes, what I'm saying, yo. Like, cause the thing is, like, Rod Tank was giving him everything in the kitchen sink, and DJ was like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna cover. I'm gonna return. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him with the leg kick. I'm gonna hit him with the head kick." And then to Rod Tank's credit, of course, that none of that phased him. Like none of that phased him. And then, like you said, this is only ever gonna be a two round fight. Because once it got on the ground, like, you know, there's just not much you can do when you're fighting a guy that's been training jujitsu for 15, 20 years and you've been training it for six months. Though I want to say shout out to um, Team Modern because Rod Tank trained with them at, uh, in, in Thailand uh, with DJ Axon Jackson, who's pretty high up on the jujitsu circuit, actually has two wins over Gordon Ryan that Gordon never avenged. I mean, they were back at Purple Belt, but still. <laughs> um, I, I like the. <laughs> You know, it was interesting seeing Raw Tang in an MMA like style, Context. like his, yeah, like it's it's like the complete opposite of what he is in Muay Thai. Like he was on the yes. back foot. He actually looked good. Yeah, he looked like he like had trained. Like he did a lot. So, for reference, DJ Exon Jackson was his coach, his MMA coach for this in Thailand. Um, who was who was a team leader in black belt, and like spent a lot of time 
like working on backwards movements and a lot of time working on grappling. Obviously, Rod did a lot of training at his own gym as well. But it was, it, it didn't look bad. Like you're saying, it was like, wow, this is not bad. This is not bad at all. The rest of the card was also good. Uh, the guy that beat DJ, Ad- Adrian Marciano, um, was... Adriano Marais. Marais, sorry. Uh, he had a great fight uh, where he won. Honestly, like, the entire card up and down was really, really exciting. One has a great product. They just, you know, are halfway around the world. Yeah, I caught the um, the replay of uh, Rinia DeRitter and Andre Gaval. Uh, their submission grappling match. It was it was interesting. Um, it was mostly Deritter on defense. Yeah. I would oh say. yeah. Um, it was yeah. It was Deritter trying not to get subbed and Galvo trying to sub him. Yeah. It was interesting though because you know I think that one of the big benefit it's like one of the things that benefits Deritter also sometimes is a hindrance to other people is that he's really long. And typically, in grappling, from what I've heard, uh, never done it, obviously. Um, it could be when you do certain, when, you have a, when you're a specialist in certain subs, like heel hooks and leg locks and stuff like that, um, it's a little bit easier to do that on taller people because they have more leg to yes. work with. But it seems like DeRitter has learned how to use his length to be very slippery in his submission defense like he knows how to use his body to like sort of make himself smaller i think that's an incredibly accurate analysis and as someone who's not very good at grappling and hasn't trained it since 2018 we are equal in analysis right now i will say from that match galvo actually looked old right andre galvo a couple years ago I think would have subbed rear within the first five minutes. I think he looked old. Um, I don't think he's going to do well at MMA. I think like he's very much past his prime, but to your point, the Ritter had amazing defense because even the old Galvo is a dangerous Galvo, incredibly dangerous Galvo. And there were some scary moments for him too. For yes, Ritter exactly. Fight. And he did a very good job of making himself small. And he also did a good job of utilizing his length in some of the guard play and wrapping Galvo up and making sure that like, you know, there's, there's two, like you were saying, but there's two schools of thought, right? One, if you're long, if you can use that length to set up a bunch of submissions or not even set up submissions, set up threats of submissions, which is what Dorator was trying to do in his defense. It makes the other guy, the shorter guy think about it. Right. And the, the other thing about uh, being long is he's strong. Like, Galvo looks buff as shit, right? And Galvo is strong. Don't get it twisted. But physics, right? Very long limbs create very long levers. And, like, on the one hand, that's very bad if you get caught in the armbar. But if you have a frame, which is what Derrida was doing mainly to defend, it's a very strong frame. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's actually harder when you have a long arm to, like, push in the frame than when you have a short arm. And I know people are like, what are you talking about? It's just, like, you just have more arm to work with. You push somebody away with your leg that's four feet long versus two and a half feet long, it's going to make a huge difference. Um, But to your point, like, yeah, Dritter looked good, to be honest. The fact that you can get out of a match with Galvo and not get subbed and call him out for MMA, that's a win. You know what I'm saying? That's a win. Yeah, I'm I'm not uh, 
looking forward to them fighting in MMA. Yeah, I don't. I, I, that's not going well for Galvo. But yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the one card. Um, speaking of jujitsu, Gordon Ryan is back. Uh, he beat a dude named Couch, who's very good, but like just isn't on Gordon Ryan's level. Tim Spriggs, the guy from '88 who won the WNO and is like number one, number one heavyweight grappler in the world right now. Did have a nice call out for him at the end, so I'm curious to see if that actually happens. Yeah. So now that we're in the boxing stage of things, there was a lot of really great boxing that happened the past two weeks, right? Yeah. So I think I'm gonna start with uh, Tim Zhu. Yeah, um, let's the, talk about that. The son of uh, Costa Zhu. Can you uh, set the uh, scene for this fight? Because there was a very interesting, I think, lead up, in my opinion. Yeah. So basically. Um, we got a draw between Brian Carlos Castano and Jamal Charlo, Jamel Charlo uh, mm-hmm. for the undisputed uh, junior middleweight champion of the world. Um, obviously, that means the WBO belt is at play there, and Tim Zhu is not necessarily the mandatory yet. They haven't called it, but he is the number one contender for the WBO. So as the... I believe the IBF, either the IBF or the WO allowed for the rematch to occur. So Tim Shoes decided to come stateside to take the interim bout against uh, Terrell Gachet, who is a, he, I wouldn't necessarily call him, he, he's not a contender, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a journeyman either. Like he's just a very good fighter. He's just a dude he's, on the come up, right? He's old. No, he's old. He's 34. He was on the 2012 Olympic team. Um, He might, I don't want to call him a gatekeeper because I think that that's a little disrespectful, but fuck it. He's kind of a gatekeeper. He's an elite but, boxer. Yeah. But right. he's, I don't think he'll be contending for a world title. World title. Times. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it's a good fight for Tim Shoes. Definitely the best opponent. I would say he, he's fought and um, one might argue was a tremendous step up in competition for him. And, you know, the fight kind of played out that way. Um, he got knocked down in the first round. Down, yeah. Um, everybody was kind of like, oh, shit, what's going on here? Um, but then he basically dominated the rest of the fight. Yeah. Um, Gachet has always been the kind of guy that doesn't really let his hands go. Um, I believe that also fuels my Ohio boxer agenda. Um, okay. Yes, he is from Cleveland, Ohio. So yes, that feel that feel, that fuels my is your Ohio uh, boxer agenda is that they don't let their hands go. Yeah, except for Sean Porter, who yeah. maybe lets his hands go too much. Too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, they don't. They look. You got Broner. You got Robert Easton Jr. You got mm. Terrell Gachet. Mm. Like uh, Rashid point. Warren used to be like that, but now he's he's starting to let his hands go. He knocked out the guy in the last fight. So, but yeah, you know, they it's something about how they translate over to the pro game. They just don't let their hands go as much as they should. So that basically gave uh, Tim Zhu the ability to essentially win the fight just by activity. So basically that was the story of the fight. Uh, Tim Zhu was just more active and he wasn't even necessarily like landing a lot of clean punches because Gachet wasn't really giving him a lot to work with, mm-hmm. but he was just basically just, pushing the action and Gachet wasn't really doing much and that was basically the story of the fight um I'll be I'll be honest I watched this fight it was kind of boring 
Yeah. It wasn't the most impressive showing by mm. Tim Zhu. I actually think it would be best for his career. I wouldn't necessarily say he should leave his trainer, but I think he should move his camp stateside if he wants to be a real contender. Because I think he needs he needs American sparring. He need the, the the talent level that is in Australia for boxing is just not on the level of it is in America. And if he's going to be a contender in uh, junior middleweight or middleweight eventually, he's going to have to get some stateside sparring. And both of those are really tough divisions with really like with killers, right? So yeah. like you don't have good sparring partners, you're not going to win. Okay. What else happened that was boxing-wise that we need to cover? There's a lot of fights. Um, a, a Dominican boxing fan called me a monkey because I said that their boxers were boring. That was funny. Twitter <laughs> is a cesspool. Yeah, it's funny, man. It's like, it's like, bro, like, what? Like, and it's like, it's funny because it's like the stereotypes. He was just like, oh, they're more interesting than your boys, Floyd and Devin. I was like, what? Like, I guess I'm a fan of Devin Haney. I'm not like a huge fan of Floyd Mayweather, but I know he's great. Like, I'm not like, I'm not, I would never shit on him. He's a phenomenal boxer, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm like some like rabid, like Floyd Mayweather fan. Like, this is wild. This is wild, man. It's like, yeah, nah, man. Listen, I listen. MMA Twitter is bad in the sense that they're bad, but boxing Twitter, y'all have to like relax. Y'all need to touch earth. Y'all need to like, you know, like get a girlfriend. Y'all, y'all need, y'all need something because like y'all pour yourselves into these fighters way too much. They don't know you and they don't care about you. Like, it's okay. It's okay. And half of y'all don't even box. Like, I don't know why you're so invested. Relax. But, you know, you know, racial slurs aside, and epithets aside, because we're talking about Haney. I think Haney takes it off of Combosis. Yeah, that's why Combosis is, is dragging his feet, signing mm-hmm. his other contract. He made, he's made Devin Haney jump through so many hoops. He had yeah. to take a pay cut. He had to get vaccinated. He has to sign a two-fight well, deal. in fairness, the vaccination isn't, isn't Cabosa's fault, right? That's like the government of Australia. It's his fault because he's... I mean, I'm look, it's his fault because he wants the fight to be in Australia, which yeah. is fine. He deserves that. He's yeah. the belt holder. I don't care about that, but yeah. he was like, he has to do this. He has to sign a, he has to sign a two-fight deal with Top Rank. Oh, the, rematch, the rematch clause, which this never happens. The rematch clause... The person who wins the fight, like if you're the challenger, you win the fight in the rematch clause. The, the rematch is always on your terms. Mm-hmm. He took the rematch clause in Australia. And he's still like, oh, we got to make sure that the thing is right. His signatures are right. We got to make sure he knows that he's the, the B side in the situation. It's like, bro, like just fight. I, you know what? I didn't get to say this on Twitter, but I'll say this on here. This is all Teofimo Lopez's fault. If he had took that fight seriously, and did what he had to do. We would not have this situation. We would not be having this conversation right now. Like, it's so, it's so annoying that, like, this is even, like, a thing. Like, Yeah. Though, I will say, this will be a pretty easy fight for Haney. It will be two very easy fights. And I think like, it's, a, it's a big moment for him in his career. Because, you know, he... The two-fight, after the two-fight deal for this Cambosos fight is over, he'll be a free agent again. Mm-hmm. And he'll have all the belts... And, you know, he'll have a lot of leverage in that division and even moving up to 140 because he he is that guy now. Yes. I think, like, you know, I, the, the main issue that 
we've had in, in regards to like Tank is that he doesn't really have a we dance partner. He doesn't have a it. dance partner, right? Yeah. That's on his level commercially. A hundred percent. Um, I, while obviously I don't think that beating George Kimbosa is twice is going to do much for his commercial value, there's something there that you can sell in a tank pay-per-view. Like At least it's two American fighters that people know. For undisputed, potentially for undisputed. Yeah, undisputed Devin, yeah. Devin is getting big for that division. So I don't know if he will be able to fight that fight at 135, but even at 140 is still interesting because there's precedence there. There's context there. Exactly. It's a big moment for Devin Haney. And I definitely understand. I see the, I see that he realizes it because he's acquiesced to all of these ridiculous demands that Cambosos has done. So I think that he is locked in. He's taking it very seriously. And I expect him to basically put on a clinic, put on two clinics. Um, Hopefully he puts on such a clinic in the first fight that Camposas doesn't want that smoke again because that would be yeah. uh, the best outcome for everyone that loves boxing. But yeah. and to your point about a clinic, I think Camposas fights straightforward, and Devin Haney is going to tear that apart. Right, Cambosos is not some artfully like this isn't Loma versus Haney where you're just like, oh, this is going to be a highly skilled match. It's not that Cambosos isn't skilled; he's just not like a skilled boxer. He's a very straightforward boxer. You know what I'm saying? Right, and look, and, I've looked. Oh, go ahead. And Cambos and like Haney is one of out of all the prospects, quote unquote prospects, the young kings or whatever. Haney, skill wise, and granted, we haven't seen all of Tank skills, and we got to see some of them before. But out of all the ones we've seen skill-wise, Haney has skills. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can talk about his chin and he got wobbled and yada, yada, yada. But his skills are unquestionable. That he man had, knows how to box. If we're talking about straight up just skills only, mm-hmm. not like putting it all together, but just yeah. pure boxing skills, I think he has like pound for pound level skill. A hundred percent. And so like, this is going to be a very easy fight, if that makes sense. Like, it's not going to be hard. And it's probably going to look easy, too. Cambosis is going to look like an idiot. Yeah, so I've seen Cambosis fight three times. I saw him fight Tio, obviously, and I saw him fight Mickey Bay and Lee Selby. Mickey Bay came off the couch for like five, from like a five-year layoff and was making him look bad. Like, he didn't win the fight, but there was moments where I was like, yo, this guy, Mickey Bay is a talented boxer, for sure. But, like, he basically came off the couch and fought Cambosos and was pretty competitive with him and at times was making him look bad. Lee Selby, um, I don't like Lee Selby mainly because <clears throat> British boxing has ca- called him the Welsh Mayweather and I've just been like anti-Lee Selby ever since. But I thought Lee Selby won that fight against Cambosos and he was making him look awful. And Devin Haney is a way better boxer than Lee Selby is. So and Lee Selby's like a pure boxer kind of guy. So and that and that's yeah. It's yep. not looking good for that's that. That's, that's the story of that fight. Did you have another point to make about Devin Haney before I moved on? Uh not really. I kind of wanted to touch on the top ranked card from the same night as Yeah, uh, go ahead. Um where uh uh Miguel Bertel made his return against Jeremiah Nakatila, um, who has colloquially been called the cop since the <laughs> Shakur Stevenson fight because he's a full time Cobb yes. in, Namib- in yes. Namibia. Um, he also, stopped, him, stopped him. It was a bad, not bad. It wasn't a bad stoppage, but he put yeah. a beating on Miguel Bachel. I think Miguel Bachel is finished. Yes, I was um, going to say that was a bad fight. And Nakalatina has had some pretty like 
hyper like this curve fight and now the Bichel fight like he's fought names you know what i'm saying like people know yeah this is supposed to be a tune-up for the show and he basically mm-hmm. just got his ass beat he did um on the undercard uh wasn't too much to talk about um delante tiger johnson made his second pro fight he stopped uh he stopped his guy in four and then haven brady jr is a guy that i'm really interested in um Mm. He he had a stoppage too. He looked really good in this fight, so I'm excited. There's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of good stuff going on in terms of in terms of prospects. Um, oh, there there was um, yeah in another card, the Edgar Blanger card, which I'm not going to talk about at all, like his fuck. Um, there's a you're not going to talk about Berlanga at all, and like you know like nah. Fat Joe and and everyone else. No, nah, I think he's washed up. Not washed up, but I think he's just yeah. not. He's not the guy that we thought he was. He's not but. who we say he says he is right now. I mean, he might get there. Yeah, maybe. But I I really enjoy watching uh this super featherweight Bruce Carrington. Um, he was like on the, the ESPN plus part. I like him a lot. I'm excited to see where he goes in his career. Um He's interesting. We're not. I'm not going to touch on this too much because this is kind of beyond the scope of the podcast. But um, his nickname is Shushu, and um, oh yeah, Shushu's knockout. That was crazy, man. If you're uh, if you're tapped into uh, New York street culture in any way, um, that's a very interesting nickname to have. I'll just leave it at that. But he seems to be really tied into like the New York culture, aside from what we're not going to speak on. Yeah. Um, Zab Judah is a big fan of his. Um, he seems to be really tapped in with like the New York boxing and sort of like the urban culture of New York. So I mean, he could he could be a really big star if he's promoted right. But again, he's on top rank, so who knows? But and that knockout was fucking intense. Yeah, man. it was an intense knockout. He, that was he's, intense. He's from Brownsville, man. Them Brownsville boxes are different. They are. Um, on the MMA side of things, we actually had a lot of stuff, and on the UFC side of things. We had one of the better cards of the year in England, like top to bottom, just incredibly entertaining headlining with Volkov and Aspinall. But there's a reason pretty much everyone got a 50 K bonus on this, uh, that, that had a finish, um, on the undercard, Paul Craig is a fucking zombie. Like every time I think he's going to die, he's just like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to throw up a triangle and it's going to work. And that's more or less what happened in this fight. Like, he was getting smashed, my guy. Like, he was getting smashed by this Krylov dude. And he just stayed calm. And he just waited and waited and waited. And threw up his uh, triangle. And it and the dude just went to sleep. The fight after that, Jack Shore versus Timor Valiev, was really fun. Because um, they just went at it. And they just, they just fucking killed each other. That could have been fight of the night. Uh, Muhammad Mokhav is like an 18-year-old or 19-year-old. He's like very young and like from England and was on this card and made a, and it was the UFC debut and did a great job. That was fun to watch. But really, the main card was absolutely nuts. Ilya Topuria, the dude that got into a fight with Patty before the thing, who's Georgian, destroyed Jai Herbert. Like Jai Herbert was winning the fight Mm-hmm. Jai Herbert is very talented. And then Ilya was very, very quiet, very, very patient. 
and I used quiet intentionally. His brother kept telling him, like, stay quiet, stay quiet. Like, and I guess they had a plan. And he basically took a bunch of shots and like did a lot of defense. And then when his brother said go, he went and knocked him out in the second round. So that was nuts. Uh Patty Pimblet is is a fraud. He's going to get knocked out. Like he's a huge hype train and he's getting hit really, really hard. He won because he fought a can. Even even Israel Adesanya was like, yo, he's fighting a can. So this is an unpopular opinion that's going to get me hated on. But like Patty Pimblet, if he doesn't fix his striking defense, he's going to get knocked the fuck out because he got hit hard. Until he then, moved, he's going to be very safe. He moved up to lightweight too. Yep. Oh, yeah, he's going to get smoked by somebody. Yeah, he's going to get smoked by somebody. Uh, I feel like – I think it depends on how they want to move him. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be a really aggressive move, and I don't think the UFC would do it, but they put him in with um, – what's his name? Uh, Terrence McKinney? Yeah. I think be, that's going to be the end of it. It's going to be the end of it. And the UFC is slow rolling him on purpose, so maybe, like, he gets better. Um, He actually had a really interesting point. There was, like, you know, those reported tweets of, like, yo, this guy made this much, and this guy made this much. And Patty Finn was like, yo, I wish I made this much. I think it was like, it said like he made like 70K or something. He's like, no, I made like fucking 12 and 12. And then obviously a 50K bonus after that. But like, that's not guaranteed. And he's like, I was like, damn, you were like on the main card. Half the people here were here to see you. You had the biggest crowd reaction. And these motherfuckers would have been comfortable giving you $24,000. Or 12 if he lost. And 12 if he lost. Capitalism was a sham. It's a goddamn sham. Um, Arnold Allen beat up Dan Hooker. I don't know. I mean, Dan Hooker shouldn't retire necessarily, but, like, he should just take a long break. Like, he should maybe just take a year off. I, I think, uh, I don't know what his contract looks like, but um, I think he would probably be better served in, like, Glory. Maybe? Glory, Bellator, somewhere else. Like, I, don't think, I don't think MMA is his thing. I think kickboxing is his thing. That's true. So the kickboxing. But it's probably more there's probably more money in MMA than kickboxing. There is. And I think Bellator, the level is low enough that he would still dominate. Like I think even at 155, I think he'd do really well in Bellator. But Arnold Allen's really tough. He hasn't lost in a long time. He beat last time he was out here, he beat Sadiq Youssef, and Sadiq Youssef won recently as well in a big way. So and Arnold Allen's like on a ten and zero streak, so tough fight, tough fight. Um, and then Tom Aspinall submitted Alexander Volkov in a nasty ass way, and you're just like, this guy might be legit. Heavyweight is interesting in in the UFC. And then last week, uh, just real quick, uh, Curtis Blades knocks out Chris Dukakis. Uh, Alexa Grasso beat Joanne Wood. There's really not much to say about this, except the one thing that I do have to say is Kai Kara France beat Asker Askarov. Figgy is now saying Moreno's team is racist and doesn't want to fight him. It's it's not necessarily true. It's a trumped up charge. But he's, he wants Kai Kara France. He's like, yo, give it to, to Kai. I don't want to fight Moreno. His team is racist. I would I would much rather fight Kai. And so... This has implications, obviously, that are far-reaching. If the UFC were to give Kai Kara France, after beating the number one contender in Asker Askarov, the fight. Um, Neil Magny beat Max Griffin, and he continues to be ducked by everybody else. feel bad for him, but what are you going to do? It's the UFC. They, they tell you who to fight. 
And that's kind of it. Um, there's a lot of shit, cool shit coming up. Volkanovski's fighting Korean zombie. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. a that's a big fight. Um, we, I kind of don't want to talk about this because her like celebration was like hella cringy, but like uh, Molly McCann's elbow. Not oh, meatball! Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't understand the celebration. After. <sighs> it was kind of like I don't know. She put out some fake UFC belt. It was just yeah, it was, a cringy. it was very it was very cringy. But the knockout was insane. The thing is, like, yeah, that 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 me she was that meatball elbow was nuts, absolutely nuts. I, I had a lot of fun watching it. That that card was a lot of fun to watch. To be honest, mm-hmm. I think the crowd and everything else was going nuts and et cetera, et cetera. And there was a. There was a kickboxing event, speaking of glory, right? Didn't, um... Yeah, so it was supposed to be, um... It was actually a really decent card. I watched a bit of it. Until it, was, it, um, until yeah. it fell apart. So it was, um, Badahari and, um... I forgot, I can't pronounce his name, but it was the rematch. And then there was, um, Levi Richters and, uh, Jamal Ben Sadiq was the main event. So in the, um... For those who don't know much about Badahari... He's um, bad man, yo. His, um, he's a bad man, and like, and both as like a talented fighter and also like a shitty human being. <laughs> um, yeah, but like his fan base is like batshit crazy. They are nuts. Um, and on top of that, um, his opponent is Polish, and if you know anything about Polish like fans of anything, they're also batshit crazy. So. When they fought, there was just like chaos in the back. It got to the point in the in the crowd, and it got to the point where it was actually like a safety hazard for people who were not involved. Yeah. So they actually ended up having to cancel the entire event. Um, in the middle of the fight, actually, I think it was in between rounds. They canceled mm-hmm. the entire event. So the Levi Richter's fight and the Levi Richter's Jamal Ben Sadiq fight did not happen. Yep. Um, yeah, it was really like it was a riot. They had a yeah. fucking riot in the middle of their event and had to cancel yeah. it. It was it was awful stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I would just like to say it's funny how like actually no, I'm not gonna bring race into it. So let's just move on. Um, oh, Jesus, I was gonna make a mouse. I was gonna make a mouse in the palace reference, but you know, yeah. this, 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 um, <laughs> you know, the, the I think. Dave, without saying what Dave is saying, I'll just allude to it. International fans are a lot worse than the American fans that people think are so bad. Yes. (laughs) Anywho. um, Glory, obviously, that's like a terrible look for them in terms of just like, it was a pay-per-view. It was like, it was more expensive than their normal pay-per-views. It was like, Mm -hmm. I thought it was like $20. Like the other ones that I bought, it was like $40. Um, People on Twitter tried to get me to buy that shit they're like it's only 40 bucks i'm like i'm not paying 40 bucks for a fucking glory pay-per-view you nuts and it, and it wasn't even like like i've bought i've bought a glory i bought one of rico's pay-per-views last year because it was only 20 bucks it's like all right cool like if i was gonna go watch boxing in a movie theater a boxing movie in the movie theater, i'd be paying 20 bucks to go see that too, so fuck it. but it's like i'm not gonna pay double for less quality like and that's not it's nothing to do with glory like mm-hmm. it was a great fight card but it was not as good as that fight card that I bought for $20 last year. So, but apparently they are um, doing a closed door event sometime in April or May. 
that will be free to everyone that bought this pay-per-view. Um, it's supposedly going to be a really, really stacked card. Um, so we'll see. I don't really know what they haven't really given out any hints as to what that may be. Um, if I was a betting man, I, I don't I think would they assume, know yet. Yeah. Yeah. That too. <laughs> um, if I was a betting man, I would assume something to do with Alistair Overing would probably be involved. Probably. Um, but yeah, yeah, they don't know either. So, um, I also assume that the Jamal Ben Sadiq and Levi Rakers fight will be on there too. Um, but I think for various reasons, we probably will not see a completion of the rematch between, um, I know his name is Archer. I don't know what his last name is, but Archer and um, Badahari. I don't think that will happen ever again. So, so continuing into upcoming events, which we have a lot of this weekend, and I think this episode will be posted probably Friday, Saturday morning, or at least Friday, so you guys will have time to listen to before. We have a stacked UFC pay-per-view with basically three main events. Like, let's be real. Um. I guess we'll start at the one that's not technically a main event, like not technically a common event, co-main event, but like the one everyone's looking forward to. That's, this is the people's main event. This is the people's main event. Gilbert Burns versus Hamza Shemaev. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I, I personally think I personally think Gilbert's a little too much for Hamza right now, but this is how greats are made, right? Fucking Momo won a title in his second fight. George St. Pierre beat Matt Hughes in his fourth fight. Like, this is not unheard of. It could happen. But this is nuts. Yeah, it's like, I don't really even know what to make of it. It's like, so, because it was all right. When he fought Lee mm-hmm. in his last fight, even then, we were kind of like, oh, this might be a little too much. Supposed to come off of COVID. Yeah. And he just fucking destroyed him. Just I mean, obviously, him. Gilbert Burns is Gilbert Burns. Like. No one, well, Kamaru did, but like no one really destroys Gilbert Burns. But even Kamaru didn't really destroy him. Kamaru got dropped in the first, like it was, it was a fight. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah, but you know, so here's my thing. The only thing that I have that I that gives me pause is that literally he has never, uh, Hamza has never been outside of like ten seconds into the second round ever. Yeah, ever. So it's like, what happens when a fight goes? presumably goes into the second round like what happened? we don't know i will say this if gilbert gets gilbert's jujitsu is different as you know like even usman was like i don't want no parts in that like nobody wants no parts in that man's jujitsu i think i think there are a lot of ways for gilbert to win but there's equal amounts of ways for hamza to win because i do think Hamza could knock him out. <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like, I think, like, at this point, Hamza's, like, stand-up might be a little underrated. That's what I'm saying. Because it's not like, look, like, I'm not saying, like, Gerald Mishart, Mishart is, like, a world beater. But this is a guy who, Hamza, who is clearly a 170-pound fighter. That is what he's weighed at. Very much. He fought at 185 and put out, like, a big 185-er with right. one shot. Exactly. Like, one shot for like the literally like I think like not the first punch for sure that he threw. That's what I'm saying, yo. Cause like the thing is like I think like yeah, Hamza has equal amounts of ways to win that Gilbert does. And saying that basically about an unranked opponent more or less for Gilbert. Like I know he's ranked, but like you know what I'm saying? Somebody outside the top ten 
coming at Gilbert Burns. You wouldn't say that he's about anybody. 10. He's number 10. Oh, he's number 10 now. Excuse me. Yeah. Even outside the top five. There's no one outside the top five other than Hamza that I'd be like, yeah, he's going to give Gilbert a tough night. Yeah, you I'm, don't not, say? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not picking a winner here. I'm just going to see what happens. I, I'm super excited. I am super Some, excited. I will say something in me is saying Hamza. I don't know what it is. I think maybe so. I'm buying. Maybe I'm buying into the hype, which is fine. But to me, the the Hamza hype train when you're comparing it to like the the Patty Pimblets, mm-hmm. even like the Sean O'Malley's, like this is a little different here. It's realer for some. I think the way he's doing it is just realer. You know what I'm saying? Like he's doing it in such definitive fashion. Like Patty Pimblet gets hit. You know what I'm saying? Sugar Sean O'Malley has a loss. Hamza doesn't have a scratch on him. Like he literally fought twice in ten days and won both times. Two weights, two different two weights. weights. It's just, it's not it's not normal. So like, if he beats him, he's getting a title shot. Kobe gonna have to sit down. Dana Dana's gonna ride this shit. I would, I, you know, part of me is like the 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 terrible person that I am. I would want him to fight Kobe. Just. <laughs> Just because I know that if he can smash Burns, I know he can smash Kobe. It's Kobe, yeah, for sure. And and I I would just love to see it. <laughs> I don't know, but, like, yeah. But no, nah, he's definitely getting a title shot. I don't know if Usman takes that. If if he if he smashes Gilbert, he's gonna. I think he can beat Usman. I'm not saying that like Usman's not better than Gilbert. I'm just saying if if Hamza can do that, if he can come in and just beat the dude like who like is the only dude to give. Usman, any trouble? Any trouble, That's really? Not sure. That's not sure. Kobe gave him trouble. In which fight? The, the, first fight was, the first fight was a 2-2 fight until he got stopped. I guess so. And then I mean, he was on his way to definitely winning that last yeah. that fifth round. I see what you're saying. But, okay, yes, that's fair. That's fair. I just don't think Kobe, like, has it to win. Like, to be champion, if that makes sense. Like, Kobe just is not, is like a worse version of Usman, right? So you can't beat somebody that's the same as you, but it's just a little better and everything. You know what's funny? I, this is getting really off topic, yeah. so I'm going to wrap this up. But I think if Kobe had gone to Trevor Whitman, I think he'd be a world champion. Probably. I think so, too. But, you know, he wants to run around Miami being bankrupt or something um, and snitching all people. Anyways, so... The other fight, we see the return of Aljamain Sterling. And honestly, I cannot think of a worse return fight for Aljamain Sterling, but it's the fight that he has to take. I just hope... Listen, I have some... I I want Aljo to win. I want Aljo to win. I like Aljo. But I saw Peter Jan and what he did to Corey Sandhagen. And I've seen the training footage. And Peter Jan is a scary man. (laughs) That's a scary dude. I mean, I'm... I'm literally picking Aljo just because that's my guy. Yeah. But uh, I, I know he's not. He's not about to win this fight. Unless something crazy happens. I don't know. Unless something absolutely <laughs> insane happens. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I want Aljo to win. But mostly I just don't want him to get hurt too much. Cause... Hey, man. Hey, man. He, he's, he's, a, he's a UFC champion, so I can't, like, he whatever. Is. He is. He is a UFC champion. Uh, you know, I'm a little, like, it's interesting because he came off a of neck surgery. So I'm wondering if, like, I actually do think there's a couple ways that Aljo could win this fight, to be honest. And I do think, like, 
I am curious to see what he his training camp was like without the pain, right? Because he was in serious pain most of his fighting career. And now that he's away from that, it might help to a certain extent. I think I think there could be something there. And you know, he was not he wasn't with Matt Sarah. Sarah and shit like that. And he's back with him now. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot there. And you know, like the thing about Aljo that he does have that I, I don't know whether he he's able to ca- to capitalize capitalize on it is that he's like a very unorthodox kind of guy. Even yeah. like like usually when you see unorthodox guys, we're usually talking about striking, but his grappling is very unorthodox too. It's, it's funky. Kind of, yeah, he, yeah. He's a Ben Askren disciple in a lot of ways in terms of the grappling style. Like it's very funky. Like yeah. you know what I'm saying? But yeah. So I think like if he can get that if he can get that going early, um. He definitely gives himself a better shot, but like Peter Yan's just too good, man. Like that's a scary man. Like watching him strike puts fear into my heart. Um, okay, the main event: Alexander Volkanovsky versus Chan Sung Jun, aka the Korean Zombie. This has the potential to be a very, very good fight. Like I think Volk will win, but I think Korean Zombie could push this man to places he hasn't been. Now, granted. We have seen Volk pushed both by Max and by T-City, but, like, Korean Zombie's not going out if that... Like, he is not getting knocked out. It, that's not going to happen. Right. So, uh, I, I, I think Volk is going to stop him. You think so? I don't know. I, I think yeah, Volk man, you can't. You can't... Uh, at a certain point, all that, all that shit comes back to get you. You think this is the point? Yeah. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's been in the top 10 for like 10 years or some shit. Like, it's ridiculous. But maybe, maybe. I mean, Volk, Volk, Volk isn't really a power guy. So I don't know. I think this fight is going to be a lot more interesting than most people are getting credit for. I do think Volk is going to win. But I think, you know, Korean Zombies with Cejudo. And Cejudo, like, you know, he ain't no Khabib. He ain't like you know, 10 and one as a coach, but he's doing pretty well. And like, he's definitely offered a lot to some fighters who have some holes in their games and Korean zombie. While a very elite fighter has always had some very clear holes in his game um, in, in the way he approaches fights. So I wonder if Cejudo does make a little bit of a difference here, but who knows? But then again, like you said, Volk is different. Volk is that man beat Max twice. And that man survived that guillotine. I don't know how he survived that guillotine, huh? He beat Max once. I know, I know, I know that's what we think, but that's just not what the record. He he, he, he officially beat Max twice. So exactly. All, the majority of people saw what they saw in that fight. Exactly. But, you know, it's all good. He's Max supposed to get his get back in this fight anyway, but uh, yeah. he's wrestling up, so he'll he'll see him soon. I am curious to see if like Korean Zombie can pull off another twister attempt. I think that would be kind of cool. Um, yeah. Because, like, you know, like, Brian Ortega's grappling is very, like, traditional Gracie Jiu-Jitsu fundamental shit. And Korean Zombie's grappling is very, like, well, fuck it. Tenth planet all the way. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. We'll see. So on the UFC side, that's what's happening this weekend. On the boxing side, we have my favorite fight of the weekend is definitely Erickson Lubin fighting Sebastian Fundora. That's going to be fun to watch because anytime you see Sebastian Fundora in a ring, it is fun to watch. And Erickson Lubin is one of the. Is he still considered a prospect? Is he a contender? What, what, what is no, he's, a, he's, he's, he's a contender. He's fought for a title before. Yeah, he's a contender, right? 
Like, I think he's one of the best contenders out there. Yeah. This is an interesting fight because I I think, like, if we're just talking about straight-up skill, I think Erickson Lubin is the most skilled fighter at 154 pounds. He just has a fatal flaw with his chin, chin. which just seems like to be kind of like a reoccurring thing with these 154 guys. A lot of them have not great chins. I don't know what that is, but, um, you know, both of this, this has a potential to be a fun fight because both of these guys are kind of flawed in a sense. Yes. So Lubin, Lubin can tends to get a little complacent with his defense at times. Um, he doesn't really eat a lot of shots in that sense, but he, he, he gives clean. up. He he he'll, he'll eat a one really good shot. Yeah, he'll eat him clean, right? Like like when he like has mental. I'm gonna call that a mental lapse. When he has mental lapses in his defense, like it, it's like a gaping hole. When he when he eats it, it's like all the way. Yeah, it's always one shot. It's never he never gets hit with multiple shots like yeah. in a row. He always gets hit with like a one really good shot, and that usually changes the fight in some way. And with Fondora, Fondora eats a lot of shots. He eats a lot of shots. And as of right now, he's been able to take those shots. Um, the question is, can you take those shots from Lubin? Because Lubin can crack. Is this and, the... Go ahead. And, like, the other thing is, like, I've watched a lot of Sebastian Fondora fights. And there's, he can get outboxed, too, even by guys who are not, like, who have, like, Obviously, everybody has a height advantage. A height yeah. disadvantage, I guess. Height so. disadvantage, yeah. But like I've seen um, Javante Clark, who's also a big, a bigger one fifty four, mm. but he's not as tall as Fondora, obviously. But yeah, I think he's like six three. And then um, in his last fight, he fought Sergio Garcia, and Sergio Garcia was getting a lot. He was I remember that of, fight. Yeah, he was a fair amount of rounds in that fight. I actually think that was fight was way closer than the scorecards were. I don't understand. Um, I still don't understand Fandora as a person. Like, I don't know why he wants to fight on the inside. I guess you you can generate a lot of power being tall on the inside too. But like, I just don't understand why that's his style. Yeah. So I don't. I can't really call this one. I think in my in my head, I feel like Erickson Lubin should win, and I wouldn't even be surprised if he either stops Fandora, which I think is unlikely, but it wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. Or if he just completely outclasses Fondora for 12 rounds. That would not surprise me at all. I think that's more likely to happen, to be honest. Just given the amount of Fondora. Like, I don't know. Fondora is, yes, he takes punches, but he's very durable, it seems. Right. But I don't know. We'll see. The thing is, like, maybe maybe Fondora changes up his style and decides to not never. Not happening. I just don't understand. Yeah, it's oh. So Height weird. is wasted on the tall, as they say. Yeah. Um, on the on, on the on the on the undercard of this, you have uh, uh, honestly Jamonte J- J- Clarkson on the undercard of this, which is funny. But um, yeah. Tony Harrison's returning against Sergio Garcia. Wow, a, it, that's a dangerous fight for Tony. Yeah, um, yeah. and then <laughs> deep on the undercard. Um, we have um, Jaleel Hackett, local kid with Mayweather Promotions. He's fighting, too. Um, there's actually a lot of good boxing this weekend. Um, the Triple G, Triple G's fighting uh, Rio de Morada in a middleweight unification, um, which is like, I don't I don't really care who wins that fight, to be honest. I mean, I assume Triple G's going to win, but who knows? He might be getting old. 
uh, a really, really good fight on this undercard. And a, a little guy for you guys to pay attention to is Junto Nakatani. He's very, very, very good. He's he fights fought. A, who has he fought that's famous? I don't think he's fought anybody that's super famous. Like, you know, a little ways he just stopped Angelo Costa. Angelo Costa, year. yeah. Nakatani yeah. is like kind of, yeah. Yeah, so he he's fighting uh, Ryota Yam- Yamauchi. I don't know him, but he's just a fun guy to fight. I think he's the best fighter at once, at 112 pounds. And then he knows a lot of good work there. Julio Cesar Martinez is uh, presuming he's coming back down from 115. Uh, Sonny Edwards is there. So it's a lot of good work at that weight. Um, and he's, uh, to me, I think he's the most talented fighter in that division. So. I think he's the co-main, so that should be fun too. Yeah. And then um the return of King Rye, Ryan Garcia. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting about that. Yeah, he is fighting Emmanuel Tago, who is a Ghanaian fighter. This will be, I think, his third or so fight outside of Ghana. Um this is a this is I assume people are taking this as like a tune-up. For Ryan Garcia, after coming off of his uh, relatively long layoff or whatever, he's back with his old his first trainer Joe Goosen, which I think yeah. is actually going to be good for him. Uh, Why? So, my thing with a lot of trainers is that, to me, I like trainers that don't necessarily try to reinvent the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Joe think- Goosen, what, what Joe Goosen does is that he takes fighters. He takes what they're best at and sort of fills in the gaps in a way that doesn't reinvent what they, he focuses on what they do well, but he's just like, all right, if you're going to be a pressure guy, I'm going to teach you how to tighten up your high guard so that you don't take a lot of shots. And I think, and stuff like that. So I think with Joe Goosen, he's not going to try to reinvent Ryan Garcia. Like and how think Re- Reynoso is trying to make him a Reynoso fighter. Yeah, which is fine. I actually think he, yeah. he's looked really good with Eddie. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that he has like internalized some of that stuff that he got from Eddie and is bringing it back to Joe. But I think it it should be cool. I think I mean obviously I think he's going to stop this guy. But I just don't um, understand Ryan Garcia. I don't know how to place him, where to put him. I know Luke Campbell dropped him. I know he has a lot of outside the ring stuff in terms of him trying to like get better and figure out his life, which I think, you know, everyone deals with. So like, I don't know, like all, all, all athletes have their stuff outside of life. But I think for, for Ryan, he's been very public about that. And I'm curious to see like in a sport like boxing and a sport like MMA, really all combat sports, like, yes, we talk a lot about that stuff, but it's not really necessarily embraced in any, in any serious way, because how can it be? How can it be embraced in a sport where you where you're actively trying to give the other person CTE, right? You're actively attempting to give the other person mental health issues, right? It, it is what it is. <laughs> like the reality is what the reality is. So, like, I just am curious, like, because he's been grappling with that so publicly, if he's able to reconcile, like, oh, I'm trying to like heal myself mentally, but I'm also boxing actively at at the highest levels, which like leads to bad shit generally happening down the line yeah i think you know that's a very I think, like i know it's a very philosophical yeah, it's point. Yeah. yeah and at the end of the day he's young he's like 22 23 yeah 
Like, look, man, you know if us have our shit together at 22 For sure. And that's so. kind of why I bring this up. Like, because, like, he's still getting his shit together. And I'm wondering if that's going to affect the way he... It is affecting the way he thinks, the way he moves, the way he does things, right? So I think this fight is good for him and his career in the sense that, yeah, it's a tune-up. And he probably needs it, right, to get back on his shit. Yeah. Uh, if I'm being honest, and this has nothing to do with Ryan Garcia, and this mm-hmm. is not a negative thing that I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. I would be surprised if we see him boxing past 2025. Makes sense. Why? I I think, yeah, I think he, he has a lot going for him in general, like outside of boxing that I Mm -hmm. think like he could capitalize on in a way that would also preserve like his physical health. Um, But I mean, if he really loves the sport, I could be wrong. And no, I'm that's the thing. The we don't know but these like, people. Like, so. to, yeah, to me, I, I would see if, if I have, to me, if I'm a boxer and I have an immediate way out, like, I'm going to take that. Especially if he can get his hands on the belt because, you know, with the Haney and Combosos unification. Um, Devin Haney, for sure, is not going to be at 135 for super long after this anyway. No. So, you know, those mm-hmm. belts are going to be, those, those belts are going to be free. Um which means that there's probably going to be big fights available for him. Uh, I, the Tank fight's always going to be there, I think. He is I never going to fight Tank. I think if he gets a belt, they'll fight. You think he's... All right, that's a brave man. Like, I don't think Ryan Garcia I mean, wants this. I mean, I think I think if he if he's just trying to maximize on his ability... As his earning boxer, potential? Yeah, probably. And, he, and he's trying to get out by 2024, 2025, which, again, this is pure speculation for me. Then you take the tank why, fight. Why, why, why wouldn't you take the tank fight? You take the tank fight, right? Because you believe in yourself and et cetera, et cetera. I think, as a fan, like, of Tank, I think I, I think you agree. Tank just kills him, right? Given, given the way who Tank is and how Tank fights. I, I, I think, agree. I, I, think, I definitely think Tank wins. But, you know, Ryan, as far as, like, I'm not going to say skill, right? But, like, in terms of, like, speed and power. Oh, he's fast. Yeah, he's fast. He's probably second to Tank. Yeah. I mean, you think he's probably, hand speed is probably faster than Tank, right? Power, yeah, no man. way. But hand speed, probably faster. Yeah. I mean, that look, man, his left, he has one of the best left hooks in the game. Like, true, true, true. By true. far. So true, like, listen, I think he, I think he is clean. With any, I think he has anybody with that left foot clean. I think it's going to be a rough they time for him. Yeah, and you know when he was with Reynoso, he started developing the hook to the body, which he stopped Luke Campbell with. So with, I think, yeah. I think he's getting, I think he's getting better, and I think he's getting to the point where maybe in like a year or two, that fight isn't going to be as like it'll be a really good fight. I think. I mean, I'm obviously, not- I'm, I favor Tank. Yeah, I'm not questioning that Ryan Garcia is elite because he is. I think a lot of people be like, nah, he's not an elite boxer. He, tr- he definitely is for all the reasons you just mentioned, right? I just I just think Tank, I'm also biased, right? But I think Tank's another class out of all of them. I think Tank's better than Shakur. I think Tank's better than Devin. I think Tank's better than all of them. So it doesn't matter to me. But like, again, that's my own bias. Um, but we, don't, we haven't seen none of them fight. So we'll see what happens when they, when they fight each other. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about boxing. So this actually leads perfect segue. If you there's far more educated versions of the talk that Dave and I just had in the community that Dave has helped build, that being chicken talking. And we wanted to to touch on it a little bit just because of how much the community has been thriving lately, 
the amount of attention it's been getting. Um, I particularly had a very high moment just hanging out in one of the spaces where Bomek uh, dropped in and was able to talk. And I, I like that to me was a great evening, just sitting there and listening and to, to hear that, to hear him be in a space that was relatively free like, cause chicken talk is a, is a much freer space than most like interview places or uh, fan interactions or pressers. Uh, it was, a, it was a very, very like quite frankly, an amazing thing in terms of like coach fan interaction that you don't usually get, which I thought was really cool. So I wanted to, to give props to lefty and you and everyone else who has created a community like that for people to just come and join. And I know you wanted to talk more about chicken talk what it is and sort of like where you guys stand in the twitter verse in regards to boxing twitter um yeah it's funny like chicken talk has become like kind of like a slur almost it's like oh don't let the, don't let the people in chicken talk hear you it's like it's become like the end like another coded word for n-word and, you know like that's just like there's a lot of historical stuff behind that from like your steve kim and like the demographic and like which became the dummy graphic you know it's just like it's just funny it's just like whenever you see like whenever a bunch of black people in boxing just get together to talk it's like oh my god like they're talking guys they're talking yeah. and it's like it, it's funny because like it's like there's just so many other like non-black people in this space like consistently like of all spectrums all ages whatever the fuck right so it's like what are you guys even like? I just don't get it. Especially, I don't get it. Especially since there's so much, so much like good information and content that's being created. It's not like, I mean, sometimes we do just sit on on the space and just talk about boxing like amongst ourselves, right? But it's like we're bringing like, I shouldn't say we. This is all lefty shit. Um, I just participate a lot, but. Like it was David Benavidez was last week um, on the day that we're recording this. Lou DeBella is going to be on at eight. We had Bo Mack. We had Sean Porter, uh, Mike Fox, Jamel Herring, Stephen Fulton, Tevin Farmer, Sonny Edwards. Like so many different guys. Uh, Steven Espinosa from Showtime was on there. Uh, Kenneth Bahari from PBC is on there. Like, you know, so many different people, so many different perspectives. I think Samson Boxing was on there too. So it's like you can just learn so much about the sport, not even just about the X and O's of sport, about the business, about promoting, about everything. Like even like the day to day lives of the fighter, that stuff that you don't really get. And you know, I feel like what Lefty has done with Chicken Talk, literally making it just like it's almost like a hangout spot, right? Mm -hmm. So to me when the fighters come on there, they're so, they're way more comfortable than they are with when they're in like a formal interview. So you just get better energy, you get better energy, you get better content, you get better information. And it's like, it's just crazy to me to think that like people would even hate on that. But it's funny because so much information gets broken on Chicken Talk that comes out in the official channels like two or three weeks later. And it's like, clearly like people are like tuning in like important people are tuning in to get information and like to be honest like most of the people on chicken talk aren't even like like professionals in boxing like in the boxing media or boxing it's, it's really just regular people 
I remember um, Kenneth Bahari was saying, like, yo, sometimes y'all are so right that I got to, like, really think about whether, like, someone, like, is, like, leaking information to y'all because you guys are so spot on. And this is just us speculating and talking amongst ourselves. So it's like, you're not getting that kind of content anywhere else. And it's just, it's just, it's mind blowing to me how people can just hate on stuff that does nothing but provide them with benefit. Also, like, it's a pretty open space, right? Like, anyone can kind of join in and listen as they want. And I think, like, if you are, you know, a reasonable person, you can probably get a speaking spot too. Like, it's not that hard. It's not like people are untouchable in the space either. I think no, also, really. and I also think, like, there's a misconception, especially like you were mentioning, like chicken talk being sort of like a synonym for the N-word in, in the boxing sphere. There's a misconception that a lot of black boxing fans only support black boxers basis on the basis that they're black, which is, I think, pretty untrue, especially in chicken talk. Like, I think most of the people, especially the black people in chicken talk, have a very wide view of the sport much wider than your average boxing fan, much wider than your average Twitter boxing fan. And it's a bunch of people who've spent a lot of time thinking and watching and oftentimes doing the sport of boxing, right? And there should be some reverence there. There should be some credit given there in the way you guys talk about fighters that are way outside of like the public sphere, right? It's not like every day y'all come on and talk about the same four fighters over and over and over again. There's been a lot of talk about lower weight classes. There's been a lot of talk about international boxers. There's been a lot of talk about prospects. There's been a lot of talk about people on local scenes. And that kind of information you're definitely not getting anywhere else because most people aren't doing that, right? Most people aren't talking about those kinds of things. And I have often seen as someone who's like kind of on the side of boxing Twitter, right? Like I'm on the side of both MMA and boxing Twitter. Like I'm not really in it, in it. But one of the things I've noticed is that the people that come at y'all and I shouldn't say y'all because like I'm 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 generally hanging out in the space as a listener but the people that come at chicken talk do not want to acknowledge the fact that black boxing fans in general are not a monolith right they never like they never give credence to the idea that black boxing fans chicken talk people on chicken talk people who are even fans of color can because like oftentimes people are like, oh, Mexicans are only fans of Mexican boxers. That's also not true, right? Like it's, it's just fundamentally people aren't so stupidly nationalistic. They are fans of the sport. If you're a good boxer, you're a good boxer. And the chances are you won't get your props, right? I, I think there's this, there's this unwillingness to acknowledge that race does play a part in the boxing politics by the wider boxing community. And that has cause a lot of friction because like in chicken talk we will and it is often openly acknowledged the the role that race plays in boxing politics and i think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable and they need to get over it like y'all are adults you have to understand that racism exists that race politics exists that these things affect the way the sport is run and to be in spaces where those things are acknowledged will give you a better conversation than not having them and i think that chicken talk does very well but go ahead. I'm sorry. That was a... I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I couldn't have said it better myself. I just want to, like, also point out the fact that, like, a lot of the guys in Chicken Talk, guys and, and men and women, because there's women mm-hmm. in Chicken Talk, too, support the sport on a different level than, like, a lot of people do, generally, especially on Twitter boxing. 
like um generally like the ring magazine has like a lot of us blocked because we basically <laughs> we don't talk shit about them but we call them out on their bullshit because they be bullshitting a lot right but even then it's like we talk about cliff roll's article and like literally everybody that was involved with that shit bought a physical copy of the ring magazine just so in a week later when cliff roll came on we could all talk about it in depth with him and that was to me to this day that's my favorite episode of chicken talk so it was just like I wish like you could like go back and listen to it because they only keep it for thirty days. But mm-hmm. like there was so m- there was so much boxing knowledge just to be able to soak up just from that like history and stuff. But also like uh, Spence Ugas is next week and they got a twenty five person uh, box seat right box box for yeah and they all pay for it and they're all going like that's the like they put their money where their mouth is like they're not just like they don't just talk about boxing like these are real fans that actually go to fights and participate in boxing culture in a variety of ways and it's like and you made the point last time uh, we in the part we didn't like talk about was they pay for pay-per-views right exactly like they they really do pay for, they pay they buy fights like a lot of people don't buy fights like I, right. i'm one of those people that doesn't buy fights all the time like <laughs> right, i admit exactly. that but like if, but like they, uh, some people were like, yeah, I buy every pay per view, like no matter what it is, like I buy it. It's like, it's commendable because I, I feel like those are the fans that boxing media and like everybody wants, but no one wants to like, just because we talk about race a little bit, that means like, oh, it's not valid because all we do is talk about race, which isn't even true. It's not true, right? It's it's a it's a part of a larger conversation, which is an important part. I think it is the mo- it is a place for a holistic boxing conversation. I think a lot of people, you know, there's no such thing as a meritocracy, especially not in boxing, right? There's just so much politics to play, and when you acknowledge all the different parts of the politics, you have a better conversation. And like you said, these are these are people who are so well versed in the sport and put their money where their mouth is, and frankly, care about it, right? Like y'all spend hours like i'll come in and out but y'all will be there for hours just kicking it and talking about this shit and that's that takes some like commitment and some effort right that there's there's something there to that like we do this podcast probably once a week we take like an hour hour and a half out of our lives to do it that takes commitment too but to do it on the regular basis that y'all do it in chicken talk is really commendable um so yeah we just wanted to give y'all props on that did you have anything you want to close it out with oh not really. I think, you know, tune in. Chicken talk usually every Tuesday, I would say. It's like Tuesday and then after fights usually. Yeah. So like you see that space pop up, follow uh lefty at lazy lefty OG. Yeah. He always tweets out when they're gonna be and who the guest is gonna be. So and yeah, yeah, and we and you we sometimes on this podcast pick up topics from there and do a deep dive. So if you want to know where we get some of our topics from, it's definitely from there as well. Um, but yep, I think that's all we got. Uh, we'll talk about Spence Ugas next time. Uh, hopefully this episode comes out before the UFC main card. So you guys can listen to our predictions and tell us if we're wrong. And this time next week, we'll know if Hamza's going to fight Usman. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, peace and love. See you. you got anything? Peace.